want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his first letter. And we are going to read this together, beginning with uh, chapter 15. We're going to begin here, right in the middle, actually, of, of the section that, that we're going to be dealing with. But chapter 15, beginning here with verse 50. And I'll invite you to stand with me as we receive this word together. And then I'm going to read down through chapter 16 into verse 4. Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet. And a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. May I pray it in. Read it through. Live it out. And pass it on. Amen. Amen. Beginning here with verse 50. Hear Paul's word to the church this morning. And God's word to us. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now may God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. I love our church. I hope you know that. I hope you can agree with that. I love our church because of what it stands for. One of the reasons is of what it stands for. Our mission, our mission, and I can almost say this by heart, our mission is to love people to life in Jesus Christ. That is our heart. That is what we want to accomplish as a congregation. But I want to let you also, and over these last few weeks, we've been reminding one another of how we intend to accomplish that mission. And I want to review these core values that we've thus discussed and, and, and add a new one today. We talked about found people, find people. Saved people, serve people. Growing people, change within. Loved people, don't do life alone. In fact, someone the other day asked me, why does God put so many difficult people into my life, Pastor? And I thought, you know, that's a great question. 
And my only answer was this. There is no way, if you think about it, that I am really ever going to grow in grace, grow in patience, grow when, then when I am around people who are going to test me from time to time. I cannot grow in holiness without other people in my life. We talked about that last week. But this morning, I want to have this discussion with you about our fifth core value, and it's this. Blessed people give like God. For a moment, I would like you to think about how has God blessed you? In fact, why don't we just kind of do a popcorn kind of moment here? How has God blessed you? Just, just name a few things. We could be here all day, I hope, for it. But let's talk about that. How has God blessed you? Family. Just pop up. Just shout it out. Health. Teenagers. Wow, that, I don't hear that often. That's great. Friends. What was that? Provision. I'm sorry, speak out. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Oh, the peace that passes all understanding. I love it. Grandkids. Grandkids. Uh, amen. Amen. The Friends Church. There you go. Absolutely. Nettie, good to see you this morning. Great to have Nettie back. Reconciliation. I like that. Absolutely. It gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And, you know, if, if we stop and think, and, and we could do that, and we ought to do that from time to time, just stop and say, how has God blessed me? I love, uh, I love God this morning because when I was a sinner, even while I was a sinner, he loved me so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for me so that my sins would not be held against me and I would be given the gift of eternal life. You know, one of the things that I am learning in ministry is that the opposite of love is not necessarily hate, but apathy. It's not caring. Next month, you know, we're, we're going to be conducting uh, what we call our Generations of Faith campaign. And during that month, we're going to talk a little bit about our church's future and how we put ourselves in a position to, to basically put ourselves in the best position for our future. And listen, our biggest issue is not going to be dealing with people who hate who we are or hate what we do or hate what we have done. They don't hate the church or hate kids or hate ministry or, or hate me. At least I, I hope not. That will not be our issue. The issue will be whether or not they really care. Whether you really care. That is the battle for Christians that we're all going to some degree face in our personal lives as Christians. We don't necessarily battle with hate when it comes to the church and ministry, the question is, do we really care? Now, I think that's part and parcel with another important question. How much we care is in fact directly related to what we believe 
And so the second question is, do we really believe? Isn't it interesting? Some of us are very happy to trust God with our eternity, or so we say, but then we refuse to trust him when it comes to our expenses. We trust him to forgive us our sins, or so we say, but we struggle when it comes to trusting him with our finances. What you believe, however, will be demonstrated by what you really care about. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And so there is something going on with belief and what you care about. Do you really believe? Do you really care? I want you to see that because this sets up what Paul, I think, the apostle, is doing here in this passage. Did you notice here how Paul is so excited about the resurrection of Jesus and what awaits the people of Jesus in their future? And Paul is going on, and, and we could read on, we could have read earlier, he is having fun. There is shouting going on, there is singing going on, there is excitement in his, in his words. He is waxing eloquent about the resurrection and all that God has done. Jesus is raised from the dead. This is our hope in the twinkling of an eye. Death, where is your sting? He gives us the victories for our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says to the church, stand firm, be immovable. He shouts, he shouts, he shouts. And there is this crescendo of awesomeness and glory. And then Paul says, now about the collection of the Lord's people. Where did that come from? Did you, did you feel that even while we were reading this? At, at first blush, this seems tremendously out of place. It's like some of you might have been celebrating last night that home run in the 15th inning. Did somebody get excited and high-fiving and everybody's excited and everyone's going on? And then someone says, I think it's time to balance my checkbook. It, it's not a bad thing to talk about, but it just didn't seem to quite fit what's wrong, what's going on. Paul, here you are talking about the glory of the resurrection. And suddenly you want to talk about the offering? Yet Paul seamlessly, effortlessly goes from this moment when he's talking about the great victory of the salvation of God that he has given us through the resurrection to talking about the offering in the church. I want you to see that Paul is demonstrating something very important here. Because I believe this about Jesus, I care about this. Because I believe this is true, Jesus is alive, I care about ministry. And I can afford to be generous because God has been extravagantly generous to me. Are you with me? I can give because he gave. And he gave so that I could give to others so that they would know his goodness too. And so we have this expression, blessed people give like God. And Paul wants you to know, you are blessed. 
Now, there are some principles I want you to notice in this passage that if you are intent on growing in Christ, and I hope this morning you want to grow in Christ, that we need to grow in two. Notice number one. The giving is an act of worship. Paul says now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So the Apostle Paul says, I've already given this instruction to other churches. This isn't a one and done sort of thing. This is how churches are to operate. And so it is right and proper that churches take collections. And then he says this. He says, on the very first day of the week, on the first day of every week, and by the way, why the first of every week? Because that's when the church came together. That's when they came together to worship. And why did they come to worship on the first day of the week? Well, that was the Lord's day. And why is that the Lord's day? Because that's the day that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And you see the connection. The resurrection, the worship, and the giving are all tied together. The resurrection, God's bountiful gift of grace and life, becomes a motivation for our own giving. Now, I've noticed, you know, we haven't passed the plate since before COVID, but it is right and proper that a church take a collection. So giving is an expression of our, of our, of our understanding of what God has already done, the, the blessedness of his resurrection, and is to be an important part of our worship experience. We worship because he's alive. And so in giving... We, we offer a tangible expression of faith. God, you're alive. You give me hope for life eternal. My sins have been forgiven. I am promised heaven. And so what I have materially, I give because you have given so much to me. And so here it seems to me is the question we should often and eagerly ponder. In Psalm 116 verse 12, it simply says this. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? King James Version said, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I wonder what your answer would be today. So notice here that giving is an act of worship. But also notice this. It should be done regularly and proportionately. Paul says on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. Now, save some, Paul says. Don't spend it all and then give it. Now, I want you to know this is not a legalism. Ooh, you have sinned if you didn't hit a certain percentage no, we'll, we'll come back to that perhaps. But it ought to be in proportion, Paul says, to what you are bringing in. It ought to be a regular event, not just when you feel like it. Because the honest truth is, we don't always feel like it, do we? I don't always feel like preaching about finances. It's not just to happen when we have more. No. This is something we do routinely. 
You see, one of those areas that God wants to work in all of us, if we're really intent on holiness, if we really are intent on looking like Jesus, is he's going to have to deal with our tendency toward greed. One way I think of combating greed in my life and can train ourselves to discipline ourselves in this area is simply to ask the question, why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? When was the last time you asked that question? Because here's the question we often hear in the back of our minds. Why don't I have more? That's the question we often find ourselves asking. Why can't I have more? That's the question we often wrestle with. But what if we disciplined ourselves to step back and ask this simple question, why do I have so much? A young woman brought her fiancé home to meet her parents around the Thanksgiving dinner table. After the dinner, Dad took the young man to his study to get to know him better. He said, so what are your plans, son? And the young man said, well, I'm a biblical scholar, he replied. Uh, a biblical scholar, interesting, the father said. That's rather admirable, but what are you going to do to provide a nice home for my daughter to live in? I'm going to study, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And, well, okay, how will you buy her an engagement ring, asked Dad. I'm going to concentrate on my studies, the young man said. God will provide for us. And children asked, Dad, how, how will you support your children? Don't worry, God will provide, replied this fiancé. Well, the conversation kind of proceeded like this, on and off. And each time the, the father questioned, the young man would ideally say, God is going to provide. Well, after the conversation was over, mom was interested. And she said, well, how did it go, honey? And the father answered, well, he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks I'm God. <laughs> now, that has nothing to do with the message here, really, but, but it was such a good story, I had to share it. What changes about our lives if we start seeing ourselves and asking that question, God, why me? Why have you blessed me? Why do I have so much? Chances are, many in this room have more than, they, than your parents had at their age. I suspect if we really took stock, everyone in this room has more than the vast majority of people in this world, no matter how you slice it. And then you ask yourself, why do I have so much? Why me? You know, when we feel like we don't have enough, and we do, there are times when we, we struggle there. Isn't it interesting? We have no problem coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, can I have some more? Why don't I have more? Why can't I have more? We have no problem coming to him with that question. But let's say this morning, and I'm going to be rather bold here, 
Because many in this room, I think, probably have more than enough. Why don't we go to God and question, God, why have I got so much? We don't ask that question because in our culture, we have this overwhelming tendency, don't we, to, to spend everything we make. Our lifestyle matches our income, or in our culture with debt, we exceed our income. Paul says here, save, put aside. Christians in general have difficulty with that. And regardless of how much money they make, if there is no margin, there's no peace of mind. And the mindset, of course, is in spending what we have, we only, it only gives power to greed. Because when we even get a little bit more, we think, well, finally, I can have a little bit more. And if we ever have some extra, we might give, but that's rare. And some of us don't give at all. Jesus, you'll remember, told a story in the Gospel of Luke about a farmer, and he had a great crop. So he tore his barns down, and he built bigger barns. And his conclusion was this. He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years and years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus made it clear Jesus said that that night his life was required of him. He had it all wrong. The stuff he thought he owned wasn't his at all. It was gone. And he wasted his life. He wasted his opportunity by building bigger barns. His life wasn't to be about bigger barns or more leisure fact in the end he had nothing at all he wasn't in fact rich because he had never been rich towards God the problem is my friends he never asked the question why why did God provide me with more than I need why is it that when a burglar comes up to us and if he says to us, your money and your life, or your life, we know what to do. We give him the money. But if God says, your money or your life, we're not so sure. Andy Stanley wrote this. He said, remember what your mother told you when you had two cookies and your sister had none? Quick, eat both of them before she gets her greedy hands on them. Probably not. Your mom would say, share. What do we tell our own kids when they have more than they need and a friend or a sibling has none? We tell them to share. What happens just naturally if we are watching someone eat two cookies in the presence of someone who has none? It doesn't seem right. We know something is amiss. We feel compelled to say something or do something. We begin to care. So imagine this world from God's perspective. 
Imagine him looking at our world, able to see everybody in this world who has some cookies and some who don't. The greatest treasure that we've ever been given is the gift of the gospel, not just food or clothes. It's the gospel. And there are people in Thailand or Slavic Village or Illyria and North Olmsted who still haven't gotten the gospel. In Paul's second letter, in fact, to the Corinthian church, he's still talking about giving, and he says to them, this is what he wrote, he said, God has scattered abroad the gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What is Paul saying there? He's actually quoting a psalm. He's saying that God has given as much, has poured out his gifts to the poor. He's distributed it to his people in various ways. His righteousness, when, my right, when God's righteousness comes into me, he's going to use me to bless them. He has scattered his gifts to people like you and me because his righteousness is happening in my life and I will be motivated and see that I can make a difference. If God has blessed you with more than you need, maybe we ought to ask why. Now, I know that no one in this room would ever label themselves as greedy. But Greed is not a feeling. It is a refusal to act. You see, you can feel compassion toward people. You can hope that they receive the gospel. You can hope that they have food to eat or clothes to wear or a home to live in. You can hope that your church accomplishes its goals. You can feel all that and be as greedy as Scrooge himself. Greed is evidenced by how, not by how you feel, but how you act. I was so blessed. This, this past week, I, we've been kind of following this together, but some of you were pitching in, helping with the Ukrainian family. We gave them a car a couple of weeks ago, and then this week we were able to deliver a furniture to their home we got them a, a stove and a refrigerator and some couches and some other furniture and bedding. You asked the right question, why? Why have you given to me? How can I help? Why has God given me so much? And we were very, very blessed to see what the difference that is going to make for that one family. You know, in our own church, according to the, the latest figures that I can figure out, we're running about $32,000 behind budget this year. Now, I don't think that that's uh, means that we're ready to close up shop by any measure, but it does mean that we've got some making up to do. And I let you know that because maybe some of you want to make a difference there. We can't keep doing that. We're going to be putting our budget for next year together, and I wanted you to be aware. I know inflation is terribly high. Gas prices way out of line. Stock market is down. But some of us maybe need to ask the question, are we giving according to our faith? Are we giving according to what we've received? And if, uh, if not, Lord, where, what, what adjustments do I need to make? Listen, I, I've come to believe this. My generosity ought to impact my lifestyle. In other words, if the level of my generosity doesn't in some way pinch 
my lifestyle, I'm not truly being generous. In other words, if I can do and buy exactly what others do and buy, who make as much as I do, then I have not been moved into generosity. I ought to have a different lifestyle because of what Christ has done in me. Giving impacts that. And friends, if we're going to grow in this area of grace, if we're going to grow in all areas of grace, the best way I know how to do that is to become a, a, a percentage giver. Give a proportion. In the Bible, let me tell you, generosity starts at 10%. Now, I'm not saying you have to start with 10%. If, if that's way beyond you this morning, start at 2%. Then maybe next year, start at 3, 4, 5, whatever it is, but learn to grow in your richness towards God. And you say, well, I can't trust the church with that much money. Then find a church where you can. You, uh, once you develop this sweetness of giving and learning how to do that, you know what happens? You start giving spontaneously. You start, and it becomes almost fun in terms of how God is going to use you. It's a habit, a discipline that changes everything. Listen, having money is not a bad thing. It's not knowing why you have money? Problem. You know, if you start asking God, why do I have so much? And if we believe he's alive, and by the way, as Christians we do, then he might just give us the answer. He'll speak, and he'll lead. Will we listen? This morning, we're coming to the communion table. And you say, well, Pastor, again, why? When you've just spoken on giving and finances and the offering. And yet I hope that you see the connection. The reason we come to this table is because God has given us so much. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I want to just spend this moment and acknowledge your gifts. To say thank you for all that you've done for your people, for me and my family. Lord, that doesn't mean we don't face hardship. Many in this room are facing that right now. Some are anxious about their health, someone they love. Some in this room are grieving the loss of someone they've loved. Some are genuinely struggling with sin and temptation, and they need your mercy and power. Would your grace be sufficient today? May your Holy Spirit fall in this place and as we come to this table, may we commune with you. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us to this table and allowing this to be a means of grace 
that we would know we are forgiven, that we would reflect and remember all that you've accomplished through Christ, and that, Lord, we would be changed genuinely. Our priorities would be different because we've been with you. I pray this through the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. Amen. As we prepare for this table, just to give you an indication of how we uh, participate in communion together, all who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and are genuinely seeking God and are willing to reflect on their own lives and ask the question, do I belong to him? Am I right with him? Are invited to come to this table and partake of the bread and the cup. The way we do it here is we invite you to come down the center aisle, make your way. We'll have two stations, one on my right and one on my left. And as you come down, we invite you to take those elements, file back across the outward aisles, go back to your seat. And when you are ready, when you've had your own time of communion with the Lord, we invite you to take that bread and take the cup, and then we'll share and worship together. On the night that our Lord Jesus Christ was to be delivered over to the authorities, he was betrayed, arrested, and put on trial. He made the decision to enter into a meal, the Passover meal, and he invited his friends, his disciples, to come. And during that meal, the Bible tells us that he took some bread and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And as often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember that you were broken for us. That you were crushed for us. May this be, Lord, our moment when we give ourselves wholly over to you. When the supper was over, the Lord took a cup and again gave thanks to the Father. And he said to his disciples, drink from this, all of you, for this is the cup of my blood, shed for the remission of your sins. And as often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. Again, Lord, we, we think about this cup and we remember your blood spilled. And Lord... Our prayer is, is that we would be washed clean through the sacrifice that you made. Grateful, Lord, that you have not held our sins against us, but that we are yours. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will take this cup again at the marriage supper of the Lamb in celebration of what you've accomplished in heaven and for eternity. Will the communion stewards come?
all those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who want to rejoice in their salvation and celebrate the remembrance of Jesus Christ, you are invited to this table. You can come.